Daniel chapter 14, verse 24, we do read, And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Curse is the man who eats any food until evening, before I, I have taken um, vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Father, we do ask that tonight that our hearts, as we have just been entered into your presence with our praise, and, and, and Lord, just as you've touched our hearts, as, as we have, uh, Lord, touched your heart, because we know it pleases you when we come together as your people and give our praise to you. And Lord, right now, we desire to hear from you. As we go through this text tonight, that you would just speak to our hearts, that we would be attentive in everything that we read, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, one of the things that I have found to be true, and I, I think that many of you have as well, is, is we find this to be true in our lives as we get older, is that whenever we start to live our lives or make decisions or do ministry to where our decisions and, and what we do is based on what we want. It's based on our fleshly desires or what our wants are, what we desire to pursue or what our agendas are. It not only affects us over time in limiting what God wants to do in our lives because God wants to be the one that directs us and guides us. And we need to make decisions in our lives and live our lives and do our ministries in a way that, that God leads us and how he has given us his truth in his word as we walk in his ways, as we do um, you know, ministry, as we live our lives in a way that is pleasing to him. But whenever we stop walking in the spirit and we start walking in the flesh and, and all of a sudden decisions are made out of selfishness and self-centeredness and what my agenda is and what I think that I need to do, it begins to limit in what God wants to do, obviously. And what intrigues me here is, is we saw in chapter 14 that here is the Philistines with this huge army that is coming against the children of Israel. They have 3,000 chariots of Philistines. They have 6,000 horsemen. They have men that number the sand on the seashores. And here is Saul. He has 3,000 men that are with him. And most of them end up scattering to where we opened up chapter 14 and only 600 are left. And what intrigues me in that is you recall in chapter 11, if you've been with us in our study, that here is Saul, that he's just been anointed the king. And here is Nahash, the Amorite, that comes against this city of Israel, Jabesh Gilead. And Nahash says, we're going to pluck your eyes out. We're going to make you our slaves. And so they sent out word throughout Israel that, hey, we got this this. Uh, king Nahash is coming against us and so Saul the spirit of God came upon him and he was able to gather 330,000 men of Israel to go and wipe out Nahash and the Amorites and we saw that Saul at that time also gave glory to the Lord as he said the Lord has brought us salvation on this day and great victory well it would be shortly after that that here is Saul he begins to put confidence in himself he begins to blow his own trumpet trumpet as we saw in in chapter 13 that it was his son Jonathan that attacked the garrison 
of the Philistines. And, and it was Saul that blew the trumpet, and the word went throughout the land that Saul has defeated the Philistines. He, he has gone against the garrison of the Philistines. And it wasn't Saul that did that. It was his son, Jonathan. So Saul, as we have seen, what has begun in the spirit, he's trying to perfect in the flesh. He's having confidence in himself. He, he's making decisions, irrational decisions, even as we read here in verse 24, because he's going to do what he wants to do. And it's affecting his ministry as king to where we've already seen in the previous chapter that it was Samuel that came to him because he made an unlawful sacrifice. He saw that the Philistines were mounting their troops. All of his guys were running for the hills there in Ephraim and even across the Jordan River. And he also would see that, you know what, things look bad. And Samuel, you didn't show up when I thought you were going to show up. And so he went ahead and he sacrificed those burnt offerings and those peace offerings. And when Samuel the prophet and Samuel the minister and the leader of Israel spiritually, he came and he said, what you did, Saul, is unlawful. And you did something that only the priests are supposed to do. And what did we see with the reaction of Saul to that? It was, well, it's your fault because you didn't show up. And it's the people's fault because they're running around scared and hiding. And it's the Philistines about ready to attack. So I had to do something. So Saul is a man that is full of excuses. He desires to look good before the people. He never really had a repentive heart, and we're going to see that continues here. So in chapter 14, as, as Saul only has 600 men that are there, and always remember this, and I need to remember this, that you're going to be able to do a whole lot more in your life and for the Lord when you're doing it in the Spirit rather than doing it in the flesh. He goes from 330,000 men that he was able to gather in chapter 11 when the Holy Spirit came upon him to only 600 men because he's making decisions based on his fleshly desires and understandings and all of this. And so here is Saul. He's in a panic. He's upset. He's got Ahijah, who's the priest, that priest from that family that God has already put a curse on, as we saw in our previous study and early studies of 1 Samuel. And he has the Ark of the Covenant that we saw. And, and he has the Urim and the Thummim that the priest had. But you see, Jonathan was one that he was a man that put his confidence in the Lord. And Jonathan is a man, that is Saul's son, that said to his armor bearer, let's go over and let's just see what the Lord might do. And, and it was Jonathan that was bringing a great victory as he knew that the Lord was going to use him to, to begin this battle with the Philistines. And then the Lord, as he knew that the Lord was going to bring them victory because it was Jonathan that had his confidence and devotion in the Lord. And he said, the Lord will work for us for nothing restrains the Lord for saving from saving by many or by few. It doesn't matter if we only have 600 guys. The, it's the Lord's battle, and the Lord would bring them victory. And we saw that the earth trembled, and the Philistines began to scatter, and, and they're going here, and they're going there, and there is Saul in the camp saying, who's gone? Well, it's Jonathan. Bring out the Ark of the Covenant. Well, and no, put it back, and put back your, your ermine, your thumbin, and God was already working because of Jonathan's faith and boldness and confidence in the Lord. And so here is Saul. He, he pursues the Philistines, and, and the Lord saved Israel that day. And all of a sudden, as the Philistines are on the run, verse 24, we see that the men are tired from this battle. Of course they are. 
And, and God has given them the victory, but then Saul makes this unreasonable or irresponsible oath. And he says, no one is going to, to eat any food until I take my vengeance upon my enemies. And notice here once again that Saul is acting on not what God wants, but it's all about him. I am going to take vengeance on my enemies. I am going to get at those Philistines. Well, God had already brought a victory to them. And we need to remember that God says in his word that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So in this rash oath that he is making, it's going to not only affect Saul, but it's going to affect a whole lot of his guys here and his son as well as we continue reading. He says there's going to be no food, and they needed that food to sustain them and to make them strong. In any of us, of course, when we do any physical activities, and it's been nice to experience this warm weather over the last few days, hasn't it? So perhaps some of us are getting out and starting to walk, and as the weather gets warmer, we go up in the mountains, we take hikes, we, we go for runs, whatever it might be, and we know it's important that we take in enough liquids, that we take in enough food to sustain our bodies. We need that physical food to be healthy. Well, how much more we need that spiritual food in our lives, the Word of God, to keep us healthy? And here was something that we're going to see, this food, this honey that is going to be placed in front of these men. But because of the rash oath of Saul, they're not able to eat it. We need to be taken in the food of God's word. And in the New Testament, there's those analogies that are made that we are to take in the meat of the word. That as we take in the word of God, we're going to grow spiritually and become mature and and that we're going to grow in faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so it's important for us to be healthy spiritually, and you guys know this, that we continue feeding on the word of God. Jesus would say in John chapter 6, come and eat of me and drink of me. He's talking about intimacy and devotion and knowing him. He would make that invitation on that hillside of Galilee and he would say, come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden and come and find rest for your souls and come and learn of me for I am gentle. And as we continue to learn of Christ and to grow in our love for Christ, and grow in the word of God, we're going to be healthy spiritually. And it's foolish for us to say, I can't do that. Too busy. I got to pursue things. I got to get out the door. I don't have time for devotions. I don't have time for Bible study. Uh, It's not a priority to be going to church and learning the word of God, whatever it might mean for us. But it's so vitally important that we constantly, consistently, And daily, that we be feeding our souls with spiritual food that is taking in the Word of God and growing. And that's where we're going to be healthy spiritually. So we read in verse 25, Now all the peoples of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his countenance brightened. And then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Curse is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. But Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. And how much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. For now would there not have 
been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines. So Jonathan unknowingly breaks this oath and he takes the the end of his rod and he dips it in honey as they went through the forest. There was honey that was dripping and he tasted and all of a sudden his countenance brightened up. His, his, His soul was strengthened. His body was strengthened because he ate of that honey and all of a sudden he learns that he wasn't supposed to do that. Now, it's interesting when you you read about this and how he was tasting of the honey, and it would be David that would be later on as the sweet psalmist of Israel would write in Psalm chapter 19, and I'll read it to you. He writes about the perfect word of God, and he says that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, and in, in chapter 19 verse 10 david writes this more to be desired than they than gold yea than much fine gold sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb and you see the word of god is something that david says is perfect converting the soul we know that the word of god the infallible inspiration the the authoritative word of god from genesis to revelation that it is perfect And we know that it is perfect, converting the soul, that the testimony of the Lord is sure. The word of God is sure. It is right, as David says. It is right rejoicing in the heart. We should rejoice in our hearts because we do have the word of God in our lives. And know that it is sure. Now, when somebody comes to me or if they come to you and they say, well, as you give them the word of God, you give them God's commandments, you give them God's truth, you give them the principles that are given to us in God's word the promises that they can stand on and they say i'm not so sure that's for me i'm not so sure that that i i want to do that or keep that commandment i i think i'm gonna go do my own thing what they are saying is that the word of god is not perfect and what they are saying is that the word of god is not right and what they're saying is that it's not sure that my wisdom is more sure more perfect more right and that is foolish to go in that direction And what my prayer is is for us is that we would remember that God's word is true. That, God, your judgments are are right and true altogether. That that your word is, is pure. That your word is sure. That your word is right. And it should cause rejoicing in our hearts. And to say, Lord, I see what your word has to say. I I hear the commandments. I, I see the principles. And I have read the promises. And I know that I can trust that your word is true and right. And not a word that you've given to me is going to fail. And Lord, I'm just going to trust in you and I'm going to rest in your word because I know your word is true for me. And do you realize that the word of God is more valuable than any gold that we can have? The word of God is more valuable than all the gold in the world because the gold of the world is going to go away. It's going to burn up. The word of God is going to endure forever. And its desire is to be for us is to, you know what, the Word of God is so valuable to me that I'm going to continue taking in the Word of God. 
And it's sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. So here is Jonathan. He takes this honey, and his countenance brightens. And as you and I take in of the Word of God, you're going to see that your countenance is going to brighten. Your soul is going to be uplifted. You're going to have rejoicing that's going to take place in your heart. You're going to walk in wisdom, true godly wisdom. But if you take in the things of the world, you're going to get cheated, as Paul would say in Colossians chapter 2. And you're going to get deceived as it's warned to us in God's word. And we're going to be confused. And God is not the author of confusion. And we need to have clearly God's word that is tucked away in our hearts and being worked out in our lives. So here is Jonathan. And, and he, he knows that Saul has prevented the men from receiving what God has put right in front of them. Because of here's rash oath. And here's the thing. I hope that dads, husbands, those of us who are ministering to people, those of us who are involved in ministry, that we would never keep the people that we love and that we're ministering from the Word of God. That, that husbands and, and fathers, that we wouldn't say, oh, you know, it's not important for us to be in fellowship, to be in church. Just kind of veg out this Sunday morning. I don't want to get the kids up and, and, and get them ready and come to church. And I know that I'm preaching to the choir here on Wednesday night. But I hope that we never get into that mindset of, uh, you know what, I don't want to have family devotions. I'm too busy. I got things to do. I want to relax. I just want to do some other things. And there's nothing maybe so wrong with doing other things or uh, you know, reading the newspaper or whatever it is, but I pray that we never keep the Word of God from being given to the people that you're ministering to, to your family, to your children, that devotions in your family are a priority, that, you know what, we are going to get up and we're going to be in fellowship and we're going to be in church and we're going to go to Bible study. We're going to keep taking in And the decisions that we make, the oaths that we make, is for the benefit of the people that we minister to, moms and dads. And and as we minister to other people, that we give them the word of God, that we wouldn't just give them our opinions, and this is what I think. But this is what God's word has to say to you. Because that's what's going to be beneficial to them. And that's what's going to brighten their countenance and bless them. So Jonathan recognizes this costly vow that, that his father has made. And, and notice here, they said, you know, my father has troubled the land. And he goes on and he says in verse 30, How much better if the people had eaten freely today the spoils of their enemies which they found. For now there would have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines. God would have done even more if we would have just been able to take that which he's provided for us. And I believe that God wants to do more in our lives as we just continue taking in the word of God, as we continue growing in faith, as we continue trusting in him, as we continue giving out to others that God wants to do so much as we just day by day continue and walking with him and, and growing in his word. So verse 31 we read, Now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ai Jalund, so the people were very faint. And the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. And so what was happening, the people were so hungry they're so exhausted that they started to just eat the, the meat rare. They, they just killed the animals and 
They're not draining the blood. And of course, according to the, um, to the law of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 12, they were to drain the blood. They weren't to be like wild animals. That commandment was even given in Acts chapter 15 to those new Gentile believers. Hey, don't be eating you know, meat that's raw and, and, and blood and all of this. Don't be eating roadkill, things like that. Don't be like wild animals. And you know, David and I, my, my youngest on, on TV, we, we were you know, watching the game, but he kind of flipped back to PBS because he was interested in this show of, you know, these zebras that were going through the river and all of a sudden these big crocs jump up and pounce on them. And he thought that was pretty cool. So, you know, here they are eating the raw meat and chomping on these little zebras and stuff. But that's what they were doing. They were just killing these oxen, the sheep, the spoils that they had, and they were so hungry, they were just starting to eat them. So we see that it was verse 33. Then they told Saul, saying, Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. So he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day. And then Saul said, Disperse yourself among the people and say to them, Bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep. Slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So everyone one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. And then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. And so we see that it was Saul that led them to sin. And how much better it would have been if they had eaten that honey, but they didn't. The people feared Saul and his, his oath that he had made. What we're going to see in a couple of weeks in Mark chapter 7 is we're going to see that Jesus is going to say to those religious leaders that you reject the commandments of God and you just hold on to your traditions. And it's important for us that we lead in a very godly way, that we give people God's wisdom and we give them God's word as we're talking with them, as we're giving them advice, as they come and ask questions, that we stick to what the word of God has to say. So Saul here sets up this place where they could butcher the animals and and eat the meat in a proper way and this altar to cook the meat in verse 36. Now Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until morning light and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. And then the priest said, let us draw near to God here. So Saul asked counsel of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And Saul said, come over here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see what this sin was today. As For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. Not a man among all the people answered him. And so Saul wants to see if he should pursue the, the, the Philistines further. And so the priest says, hey, why don't we inquire of the Lord? But God doesn't answer. So interesting that Saul comes to the conclusion, well, it isn't me. It has to be somebody else's fault why I'm not hearing from the Lord. And it must be because somebody broke this oath that I made. And everybody knew that it was Jonathan that broke the oath, yet they did not want to you know, rat him out. Saul didn't know. I think Saul perhaps had an idea because in verse 40, he says, you be on one, in verse 39, he says, that though it be in Jonathan, my son, 
he shall surely die. I think he has an idea. So verse 40, then he goes on to say, then he said to all Israel, you be on one side and my son Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. So Jonathan was taken. And then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey at the end of the rod that was in my hand so now I must die and Saul answered God do so and more also for you shall surely die Jonathan but the people said to Saul shall Jonathan die who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel certainly not as the Lord lives not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground for he has worked with God this day so the people rescued Jonathan and he did not die and then verse 46 then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines and the Philistines went to their own place so we see here that they cast lots and it is Saul that says me and Jonathan will stand on one side the chiefs you guys are going to stand on the other side and they cast lots that's what was part of that urm and that thummim that the priests would carry around and you recall that it was earlier in the chapter when all this commotion was going on and and the earth was trembling and the Philistines were running that that Saul was going to turn to Ahijah and say pull out the urm and the thummim let's Let's cast lots. They're not exactly sure what the Urim and the Thummim was, but it, it was a way that they would cast lots to get answers from God. We see that when it was in Joshua chapter 7. You recall after the victory of Jericho that they were defeated at Ai because of the sin of Achan. And so the Lord came to Joshua and said, there's sin in the camp. You need to single out a certain individual and deal with it, Joshua. And so they cast lots and they came to Achan and his family. And he ended up being stoned because he took a Babylonian garment when he wasn't supposed to. So that sin affected his family and it affected the whole, you know, children of Israel in doing battle against Ai. So it was an important lesson, but they would use that to cast lots. And so here they cast lots, and it comes on Jonathan. And here is, is you know, Saul, that he is determined to have Jonathan put to death. You can see how irrational he is becoming. He's willing to kill his own son rather than humble himself and admit that he was wrong. What Saul was wanting to do is really he was wanting to save face. Rather than admitting that, you know what, I have done wrong. And I made this irrational and and irresponsible oath that has troubled the people. And what should have been a great victory, Saul made it very sour and hard and very difficult. And it is true, if we begin to make decisions where it's irrational and it's irresponsible spiritually, it's not according to God's word, it's based on us, and, and we're not going to admit that, that we're wrong when we find out that everything is falling apart, just as it is on Saul right now. I'm going to say face and I'm going to stand my ground. It becomes very hard and difficult to the people around you and the people that you love. You know what spiritual maturity includes? It includes an individual that is willing to humble themselves and say and admit that I am wrong. I I made a bad decision here. I missed the market and I, I didn't get it here. 
or it wasn't a good decision, I made a rash decision, whatever it might be, or I was just plain wrong, and I did wrong. But we see that Saul is an individual that keeps making excuses. He's going to stand his ground. Everything's based around you know, him, and, and he can do no wrong. I think that a lot of us, if not all of us, we know somebody, either a family member or a co-worker or a friend, God forbid that it would be any of us, that they always make excuses, and it's everybody else's fault. And over the years of ministry, I see that more and more because we live in a society where we love to make excuses and it's always somebody else's fault and we certainly see that in a legal system. One of the things that has been very difficult that I've been ministering to the deputies is it's just knowing that one of their own was killed last November. And I was there ministering to the first responders. And I, and I was there in the briefings and debriefings. And, and I know that they hurt. And yet have the family of this one who killed the deputy going to turn around and sue them and want them to be fired and dismiss and discipline and all this. It, it's your fault, you guys. And it's been very hard. And it's, it's hard on the community to understand that. But that's the way our society is. And I pray that as Christians that we would be ones, that we would say, you know what, when I do what's wrong, that first of all we confess it to the Lord. And confession means I'm in agreement with, Lord, I'm not making excuses. I'm not going to to blame it on everybody else, but Lord, I have sinned and it's been wrong. But when we make bad decisions, to admit it, and that's part of maturity and that's part of, of integrity. One of the things that kind of been dealing with somebody in the community that I feel is very irresponsible in comments that he was making last month and talking with them and expressing that to him, but it's everybody else's fault, the consequences that he's going through. And he's going to stand his ground and he hasn't done anything wrong and, and it continues and it continues and it continues and he digs a deeper hole and deeper hole and deeper hole. But it's everybody else's fault and the letters come in and, you know, it's their fault and his fault and this and that. And not wanting to take godly advice and counsel and how it is that we are to speak and the words that we do say as Christians are important. And my point here tonight is that we would be ones, that we would humble ourselves at that time. And I know God's still working on me in this because there are times where I say, okay, Lord, I did wrong, but, and it's the but that gets me in trouble. Well, they just made me mad. Or they're unreasonable. Or it's not a big deal. Or whatever it is. Rather than saying, Lord, I did what was wrong, period. Maybe this message is just for me. <laughs> it is something that we constantly need to be aware of and, and say, Lord, help me in this. But I'll tell you, I appreciate and I respect the person who's willing to say, you know what, the words that I spoke have hurt a lot of people and caused confusion, and I was wrong, and I'm sorry for that, rather than I'm going to stand my ground and I've done nothing wrong and it's everybody else's fault because everybody else is stupid. And to me, that is pride and it's arrogance and it's a hard heart. 
So may we be careful that we don't do what Saul does. And he here, because he is making this, this, this you know, irresponsible oath and it's already troubled the guys and they're weak and it led them to sin and all of a sudden it's gone so far as he's ready to put his own son to death. He's ready to put his own son to death because he's going to stand firm and he doesn't want to admit that he's wrong. There's only one person that has ever lived that is perfect and that was Jesus. And I know that as a spiritual leader for me, that I desire to, to make good decisions for my family, for my wife, for my children, for the ministry here at Calvary Chapel. And it tells me in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that I'm to be above reproach. I'm to be blameless. Now, it doesn't mean I'm to be perfect, but it does mean I'm to be blameless. What that means is that every decisions that I make, everything that I say, everything that I do, I want to do it in a way that it is godly and with godly integrity and character and godly honesty, but I will falter and I will fail at times. And I may say something that, oh, I need to come back to my family or to my kids or to my wife and say I'm sorry. Or I didn't make a good decision. And I pray that when people come humbly to us and say that they're sorry or I've done what's wrong, that then we would extend that grace and compassion to them. And we would understand that it's a sign of maturity. So here's Saul. He is wanting to do away with the son, but the people step in. And so they defend Jonathan. They said, listen, Saul, we're not going to let you do this. And it is Jonathan that has brought this victory. And it is the Lord that brought or worked through Jonathan this day to bring us this victory against the Philistines. And you're not going to touch him. And Saul backs down and he ends up going home. In verse 47, so Saul established his sovereignty over Israel, fought against all his enemies on every side against Moab and against the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed them. And he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. The sons of Saul were Jonathan and Jashusai and Malkishua, and the names of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn, uh, Merab, and the name of the younger, Michael. Now, Michael is going to be the wife of David that we're going to see later on as we continue through 1 Samuel. And then we read in verse 50, the name of Saul, or 51, Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. And so Abner is the commander of Saul's army. We're going to read a lot about him as, as well as we continue moving on. And there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. Now you remember that when the people asked for a king, that it was Samuel that came and told the people, listen, you're asking for a king, but know this, there's going to be consequences. And that is that the king's going to come and take your sons and your daughters. And he's going to take the best of the man, and that's what Saul is doing, to be in his army. And he took him for himself. So chapter 15, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. And thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both 
man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep and camel and donkey. So what we see here is Samuel returns as ordered by the Lord back to Saul. He's kind of withdrawn himself in, in counseling Saul and ministering to him. But the Lord comes to Samuel and says, you go to Saul and give the command of the Lord. And we're going to see whether it's going to be Saul that's going to obey that or not. And it's a very heavy command, isn't it? Destroy all of the Amalekites for what they did to the people in the wilderness. All that they did. So here it's a simple command. Destroy not only all of the Amalekites, but all their sheep, oxen, everything that they have. Completely wipe them out. So the Amalekites, we know, were the ones who would, in the children of Israel, their wilderness wandering, they would attack the rear ranks that as they were traveling, the stragglers, the, the ones who were tired, the weary. It's what Satan does. Satan likes to attack the rear. Those who are spiritually tired, those who are weary, those who are kind of wondering and not paying attention. And that's another reason it's very important that we stay strong spiritually. Because the enemy, he loves to come against those who are just kind of lagging behind, kind of just, you know, not paying attention, weary, tired spiritually. Maybe you're going through a trial. Maybe you're going through a difficulty, and it's war on you. And, and all of a sudden, Satan comes along, and he begins to beat you up and whisper in your ear, you know, who are you? You know, God is done with you. His promises aren't true for you. And the Amalekites, they were cruel to the children of Israel, and they did battle in the wilderness. And so we also know that they would come and oftentimes attack and try to take the spoils of the children of Israel, as we just saw as we finished chapter 14. So they were the enemies of God. They did not fear God. And God would say in Deuteronomy chapter 25, as well as in Exodus chapter 17, that he was going to deal with them severely, that judgment was going to come to them, and now is that time. But notice here in verse 1 that God gave a very serious exhortation to Saul. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. And whenever we see that phrase, heed, take heed to, it's a very important exhortation, as I mentioned. God is saying, take this very seriously. He's not mixing any words here, is he? He's not making it difficult he says, what you're to do is you're to completely, 100%, wipe out all the Amalekites, your sheep, oxen. It was easy for Saul to understand that. And it was Samuel that said, listen, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. You're to do this. Take it very seriously. And as we go through the scriptures, oftentimes we will see that the Lord says, take heed, take heed. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones as he was holding a child. Take heed, he would say. That's why it's very important that we pray for our children. Very important that we pray for the children's ministry. Because our young ones are being attacked so much in the world today. And they're being told that which is not true. And so Jesus placed an importance of, you know what, take heed, don't despise one of these little ones, don't cause one of these little ones to stumble. It'd be better that a millstone be hung around your neck and you'd be cast into the sea. That's very serious. And as I look at God's word, I see the importance of ministry to 
the little ones and how important it is that as moms and dads that we be training our children up in the ways of the Lord, that we here at Calvary Chapel, that we take very seriously ministering to the children the Word of God, and we do that here, and for us to be praying for our children, be praying for the children here. In chapter 24, Jesus said, Take heed that no one deceives you. There's going to be many false prophets. We need to beware of that. And there are so many false voices in, 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 in doctrine and things that are out there that can deceive us. Those who say they speak on behalf of God, but they're false prophets. They're false teachers and false doctrines. Take heed, Jesus would say, because it's going to increase as we cl- get closer to the return of the Lord. You remember that it was a couple weeks ago in Mark chapter 4, Jesus said, take heed to what you hear. Take heed to what you hear. We know that in Luke chapter 12, take heed and beware covetousness. Oh, it can be such a, a problem, covetousness. I want more of this and I want more of that and I want what they have. I want to keep up with the Jones. And we know that it is Paul that told Timothy, listen, you need to learn to be content. You need to learn to be content. And that's something that we especially have to learn in our society because we live in a society and we live in a world that we're, we're bombarded every single day that more and bigger and, and this and that, what you have, is gonna, what really going to make you happy and fulfilled and satisfied. And we are a people that we are losing that, that command of learning to be content what God has given to us and where God has us. It doesn't mean that God won't give us more. It doesn't mean that we can't have desires. But when we begin to covet and we become discontent because I don't have this thing or I don't have this relationship or I don't have this promotion or I don't have this whatever it might be possession, rather than saying, Lord, I thank you for the things that I have. And Lord, I I want to learn to be content where you have me and what you're doing and what I have. Because think about this. He's already given us the very best. He's given us his son. What more could we ask for? And he's given us eternal life through his son. And we have forgiveness of sin. And we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not a dead hope. And we as Christians, we need to learn to be content of the blessings of the Lord that he's given to us already and given us of his son and rejoice in that. And as a Christian, we always have a reason to be thankful, don't we? Because we have Jesus and we have hope and we have forgiveness and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and learn to be content in what God has given to us because all these things are going to go away and prioritize heaven and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then he'll add all these things unto us. It will be added unto you, but first you seek the kingdom of God and be content. We need to learn that and not to covet, you know, wow, they got this and I need this. And again, there's nothing wrong. We can have desires and and wants and things like that, but don't let it just have a grip on your heart to where it just begins to choke out, as we talked about in the parable of the sower, the things of God and the priority of God in your heart. 1 Timothy chapter 4, take heed to yourself and the ministry that God has given to you. That is, take care of yourself spiritually. And you see, Saul didn't do that. He lost that. He didn't take heed. 
At one time, he was sensitive to the things of God, it seemed like. He was humble. The Spirit of God was on him. He gave glory to the Lord. And all of a sudden, he's starting to blow his own trumpet. He's wanting to be noticed. He's going to make a monument for himself. All these things that, that are going to take place in Saul's life because he wanted more. He wanted to be noticed. He wanted popularity, all these things that we can fall into if we're not careful, those kinds of traps. Take heed to yourself. Not focus on yourself. Take heed to yourself. That is, make sure you're taking care of yourself spiritually. Take heed, brethren, unless you have a heart of unbelief, is what the author of Hebrews would say to us. So all these things that we're told, whenever you go through the Scriptures, and, and you see, and particularly as Christians in the New Testament, take heed. You need to stop, take note of it, and think about it and chew on that a little bit because what the Lord is saying is this is very serious and, and we need to consider it carefully and understand what God is saying. So in this case, destroy all of, not most of, not many of, but destroy all the Amalekites for their cattle and donkeys and everything else that they had. So verse 4, Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. And Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he also took Agai, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But, there's that but that can get you in trouble. Saul and the people spared Agai, the best of the sheep, the oxen, fatlings, and lambs, and all that was good, and unwillingly to destroy um, them, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. We don't have time to go into it tonight. We'll pick it up here next time. But Saul did not take heed to what the Lord commanded him to do. And we're going to see what's going to happen and what the Lord is going to say to Saul, some very, very important lessons that we need to really carefully look at next time as we continue in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And Father, tonight I just pray that as we've gone over this text, I thank you, Lord, for, Lord, just for us, that we would take heed to the things that we saw. And Lord, I just pray that tonight as we gather here that if there's anything in our hearts, maybe there is, um, Lord, where we are coveting. Maybe we're not content where you have us. Lord, maybe we're making decisions out of our own fleshly understandings or desires or whatever it might be. Lord, I know that you're the only one that really truly knows the hearts of your people in my heart. And Lord, I pray that we would just take a moment here tonight and we would give you thanks for the giving of your son. And we know that your son humbled himself and did not consider it to be robbery to be equal with God, made himself in no reputation, but came in the appearance of a man, not just a man, but a bondservant, and was obedient to death, the death on the cross. And Lord, as we see the greatest example of giving and of love and of humbleness 
Lord, I pray that we would look to Jesus, our ultimate example, who came to serve and gave himself for us that we might have hope. And Lord, I pray that in this life that we wouldn't make selfish decisions or everything's based on what we want, but Lord, that we would be submitted to you fully. And Lord, as we take in the word of God, that our soul would be, Lord, fulfilled and strengthened and satisfied, that our countenance would be brightened just as Jonathan did, knowing that your word is true, that it is pure, it is sure, it won't fail us, that righteous are your decisions, your judgments, Lord. And Lord, that your promises we can stand on and rest in. And Father, I pray that we wouldn't try to, to go in our own understanding or be cheated by the world's philosophy, but Lord, look to you truly. And Lord, that you would just strengthen us and guide us. And Lord, that we would learn to be content. Lord, I know that we can have desires and, and we can have wants. And we're to cast our cares upon you and we can give you our...